the book of John, chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse 39, Jesus declares to us that His coming creates a predicament for man. There's no middle ground between the two. Either a man declares that he's blind and he needs sight, or he is declaring that he sees, but in reality he's blind. And the contrast here is between the blind man who does regain his sight and come to understand that Jesus is more than a prophet. In fact, he's God in human flesh. And he bows down and worships him versus the Pharisees who keep saying, how can this happen? Who is this man? Where did he come from? We don't know where he came from. While at the same time, the Pharisees are declaring that they what? That they see. John chapter 9, verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We're not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, that is, he's speaking to these blind Pharisees, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. I want to speak to you this morning on this theme, religious thieves and robbers. This year, 2023, marks the 100th anniversary of a landmark book entitled Christianity and Liberalism. This book was written by Dr. Machen. He was in the midst of an extreme controversy in which liberalism was taken over, actually had taken over Princeton. After over a hundred years of standing true to biblical doctrine and understanding, that book, Christianity and Liberalism, of which I commend to you, I've read it several times. In fact, if you read it and did not know that it was written in 1923, you would think that he is describing today. It really is a classic. And it was never answered by liberalism. 
And the conclusion that Dr. Machen came to in that landmark book is, is that Christianity and liberalism are two different religions. They don't overlap. No such thing as liberalism Christianity. But they are two separate, contradictory religions. Liberalism declared, and I'm just kind of making a little summary statement here, and I'm going to say it slowly, and I want you to think about this. Liberalism declared that religion is primarily not a matter of doctrine, but rather of feeling, intuition, and experience. Now think about that just for a few moments. Liberalism and Christianity are two different religions. And liberalism is declaring that religion, and I'm using that in the sense of what they would perceive as true and right, that religion is not a matter of doctrine, but rather a feeling. Has that not swept over our nation? And intuition, our gut feeling about something, and experience. There was a popular book a couple of decades ago swept through many of our churches. It was entitled, Experiencing God. The fact of the matter is, is that if you have no doctrine and teaching, you have nothing. In 1955, we're moving from 1923 to 1955, Dr. Billy Graham wrote in an article, and by the way, this was five years before I was born. 1955, he wrote, We need to plant the evangelical flag in the middle of the road. taking a conservative theological position but a definite liberal approach to social problems. So do you hear what what he's saying? He continued, it would combine the best in liberalism and the best in fundamentalism without compromising theologically. Unquote. In 1923, Dr. Machen said, liberalism and Christianity are not the same religion. 
Dr. Graham saying, let's take those two and what? And bring them together. And from 1957 onward, one of the major mottos that was propagated, taught, and repeated is that the badge of Christian discipleship is not orthodoxy, it's love. Now folks, I want to step back here and just make a biblical statement. It is living orthodoxy that gives rise to divine love. If you jettison orthodoxy, you've also jettisoned what? Biblical love. This is eternal life. That we might know Him. That's orthodoxy. This is eternal life, that we might know Him and His only Son, Jesus Christ. Living knowledge, living orthodoxy gives rise to divine love in our life. It's this propagation of this so-called badge of Christian discipleship, not orthodoxy, but love, that has given rise after a hundred years to what we're seeing today. What's wrong with homosexuality if two people are really loving one another? And churches all over our nation stumbling over each other to get on the bandwagon of Pride Day stumbling over themselves to make sure that they are welcoming all under the banner of love. But it's not God's divine love. It's polluted love. (coughs) And folks, here's the thing. Sometimes I think we kind of live in a bubble and we think that all of our problems have started today. We're seeing 100 years of the fruit that is being born through errant, wrong, apostatized doctrine. The call for unity has replaced the call to lost people to be saved and to embrace the essential doctrines of Christianity. And folks, you could have the unity of numbers of 8 billion people on this planet all walking in harmony against the Lord and it will be destroyed. Numbers do not make it right. 
Populism does not make it right. It's the Word of God that declares it right or wrong. Not your feeling. Not whether it inconveniences us. Not whether our gut is in agreement with it or not. Whether our experience doesn't rule over what the Bible says. The Bible rules over our experience. It's the Bible that describes whether our experience is divine or not. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I had this feeling or experience. All of that isn't liberalism, but it is the outflow, it is the flood of what has come out of this movement that is not Christian. And in an effort to be welcoming, or if I was going to use the word today, in an effort to be loving, the church today has come up with systems and ways in order to so-called present the gospel without offending people. If you tell someone they're blind and they think they see, they're offended. Do we all see that? Today, the differences between a biblically regenerate person and a biblically unregenerate person, we say there's no difference. You can be regenerate, live like the world, act like the world, think like the world, and you're okay. It's hard for me to comprehend that the living, eternal, omniscient, holy God can enter into the life of someone and there be no change. I'm not talking about becoming an angel. I mean, no change. And we have minimized it because we don't want to cause offense. We don't want to appear as being judgmental or offensive. It's offensive if you tell someone that they're not regenerate. Ask my wife. That's what this young man told her. And she did not respond well. But then she did respond well by the grace of God. And we're not infallible in that. <clears throat> but when there are clear, clear scriptural indications that there is concern, 
We're doing harm by not expressing that concern. And because we don't want to cause offense, we have come, the church of God has come, and I'm speaking generally, has come to the place where we think that we can take the interest and the ambitions of lost people and somehow harness it all together to win their approval for Christ. So we bring in Hollywood. We bring in the entertainment. As one pastor said, we advertise our church as being contemporary. Why do you advertise a church as being contemporary? What are you saying? You're saying volumes. And then what happens when you do that is you will achieve results. It will work. If you speak according to the world, the world will hear you. But in the long term, it is destructive. Galatians 1.10 is still in our Bibles. Paul wrote, If I still please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. That's still in our Bibles, isn't it? Now, you know I'm not advocating to be ugly to men or to be belligerent. But folks, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And the church is to be the light of the world. And we bemoan the darkness that is still here, that our light is not brighter. But folks, you know, do you not, that light and darkness cannot exist together. Either the darkness overwhelms the light, or the light overwhelms the what? The darkness. And nations go through this type of downfall. One person wrote and said to John Wesley, many of you are aware of John Wesley and his preaching, his great evangelist went through England and preached the gospel. And he preached, you must be born again. One man, after hearing Wesley's message, said this to him, Sir, if this be Christianity, I've never saw a Christian in my life. Hmm. 
I've had people say something very similar to me after I've given them the Gospel. And I'm sure you have too. John Stott, who we would have differences with, but John Stott wrote concerning the church and our witness. Either we are unfaithful in order to be popular, or we are willing to be unpopular in our determination to be faithful. He wrote, I very much doubt if it's possible to be faithful and popular at the same time. I fear we have to choose. I have a book in my library. I think it's out of print now. It's a biography written by a lost man, as far as I know, he's a lost man. He's a newspaper journalist, an author. And he wrote a biography on Dr. Billy Graham. Here's the title. A Prophet with Honor. That's exactly what John Stott was warning against. The Bible says a prophet does not have what? Honor. I thought it was a very apt title, very insightful. And folks, Jesus in his day had religious thieves and robbers. This is not new, but it is concerning. I'm not saying that the Pharisees are all bad. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, was he not? And he ended up getting born again. I'm not saying the Pharisees were not sincere. Jesus actually said, all that the Pharisees teach, observe, but don't do after their actions. That's an amazing statement. But they were false shepherds. So we have to ask the question, Who's the true shepherd? And Jeremiah 23 and John chapter 10 agree on this point. That the true shepherd is Christ Himself. If you look down in John 10 and look at verse 11, He says, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And remember, the shepherd was the ruler. He was the government. We would say he was the king. 
Christ is the good shepherd. If you look in John chapter 10 and verse 14, he says it again. I am the good shepherd, implying the Pharisees were not what? They were not good. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. He's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. And that's telling, isn't it? A bad shepherd uses their people for their own profit and gain. But Christ lays down His life for the sheep. He's called in our Bibles the great shepherd of the sheep. He's called that we have returned to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. But not only is there the Great Shepherd, capital S, there are also under-shepherds, small s. These are men who claim to be representing the Lord to His people. And this is what John chapter 10, at least in the beginning, the first six verses, Jesus is referring to. When he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is not the shepherd, he's a shepherd of the sheep. This is a small s. He's talking to the Pharisees in the true nature of a true shepherd, small s, who is living their lives representing the great shepherd or the capital S. And Jesus calls these shepherds thieves and robbers. And the Bible's abundant teaching is is that throughout every era of church history, Satan has his ministers of righteousness, of unrighteousness, posing as angels of light. Now I want us to turn back to Jeremiah chapter 23 and we're going to spend the majority of our time here in this chapter. Jeremiah is lamenting over the condition of that nation. And just think, if it was true in Jeremiah's day before the Babylonians came in judgment, we would be talking 400, 500 years later when Jesus comes and walks on the earth. And there's a declaration by Jeremiah, by the mouth of the Lord, at the beginning of this chapter. He says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And then he gives an amazing promise. Verse 3. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. Here's a promise that God Himself will rescue His people from every country 
Every nation. Verse 4. I will also raise up shepherds, plural, over them, and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. So there is the shepherd, and there are shepherds. They are to be acting as one. And then he's going to speak to us about the shepherd. Verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He will reign as a what? He will reign as a king. Remember I told you that when you see the word shepherd in the Old Testament, we're talking about government. We're talking about kingship. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. This is the name that the king will be called, and his people of that kingdom will say, He is my what? He is my righteousness. And of course, he is sitting on the throne today and he is going to return, is he not? And he is rescuing out of people for his namesake. And in verse 9, he turns to the prophets. He gives this great promise and then he turns to the prophets. And this is what Jeremiah is lamenting about. Look at verse 11. For both prophet and priest are polluted. Even in my house I have found their wickedness, declares the Lord. They were polluted. They were stained. They were not people who would say, The Lord my righteousness. They were saying, I am my righteousness. They are defiled. They had broken the covenant. They had changed the ordinances. They had transgressed the law of God. They had devised a religion that they called the religion of Jehovah, which was not His religion. And of course, where did that first happen? We know it happened in the Garden of Eden, but folks, with the nation of Israel, where did that first happen? It happened at the foot of Mount Sinai, didn't it? When Aaron constructed a calf and said, Behold, a feast to the Lord. They were polluted. This was garbage. Secondly, in verse 13, 
Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And then he's going to go on and talk about verse 14, Jerusalem. So, folks, it didn't matter if you were in Samaria where there was false worship from Jeroboam, or whether you were talking about Jerusalem itself and Judea, they all were what? They all were gone. And they were full of offense. They were empty. They were silly. They were foolish. There was no gravity about their life. There certainly wasn't anything like Jeremiah when he says, my heart is broken within me. There wasn't anything in their lives when it says, all my bones tremble because of the word of the Lord. There was no contriteness in their life at all. And certainly no lowliness. Either by lifestyle or by speech, they declared to God's people, don't be so serious about the things of God. Do we have lightness in the church today? Do we have Christian entertainment and Hollywood and comedy? Have we turned the pulpit into a theater? These are evidences of false shepherds. And the sad thing about it is, is that in many cases, God's people want it this way. That's what they want. God gives them what they want and sends leanness to their souls. These shepherds were horrible. They were horrible. In verse 14, talking about the prophets of Jerusalem, Jeremiah says, I just want to tell you what I've observed. I've seen this with my eyes. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. What is this horrible thing? The committing of adultery. The walking in falsehood. Strengthening the hands of evildoers. This is horrible. They caused the people of God to be filled with empty hopes. 
They fed their pride. They bolstered their self-confidence. They urged them to believe in themselves. And they didn't say anything when they committed fornications. It was okay. God's forgiven you. You have liberty. And folks, what we have seen sweep through churches in general in our nation is that statistically we're no different from the world. We're no different in our marriages. We're no different in our dating. We're no different in how we decide how to marry and who to marry. There's just no difference. This is horrible. This is pollution. This is not freedom. This is bondage. Men in the ministry, the prophets of that day, were committing adulteries. The proliferation of abuses against women today that have been discovered in our denominational systems and in churches is horrifying. It's horrifying. Cover up. But the Lord has seen. And the result of it was, verse 14, is they actually hardened and emboldened the hands of evildoers. They actually confirmed their practices. And the result of it is, is that that whole city of Jerusalem had become to the Lord like Sodom. That's not a nice place. And Gomorrah. In fact, folks, when you turn to the book of Revelation, God calls that city Sodom. He no longer says, it's become to me like Sodom. He actually calls it Sodom. It's an amazing... And this was coming, this pollution was coming from these religious thieves and robbers. And the result of this is that they made people vain. Look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into vanity or futility. 
They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. Brethren, one of the hardest things that I've tried to take very seriously in my own life since the Lord saved me is to want to know Him in the pages of the Bible and to be reflective of His mind and His thoughts. What my imaginations think about things doesn't matter. And what your imaginations about things, guess what? Doesn't matter. Both will perish. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. This is the bread that we need. Any other bread is a false bread. You may be motivated. You may want to put out hell with a squirt gun. But it's profitless. And what we have today in many of our pulpits are men who have learned to be motivating. Folks, what ought to motivate us is what God has said. They did say, the Lord has said. And then they proceeded to speak things out of their own hearts. You know, you go to a liberal church today, in many cases, I'm thinking about a church downtown. Massive, massive, beautiful front. Right up above the doorpost is a verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's right up above. No gospel in that church today. But every person entering into that building, if they look up, they hear the Word of Christ to them. Opening our Bible, reading a verse, and then proceeding to preach my own imagination is not preaching. It's not preaching. Some men do this out of immaturity. Some men do this because that's the way they've been trained. I was trained to preach that way. But it's not biblical preaching. You should be able to look in your Bible and see it. They made people vain. They gave them empty hopes. They felt good about it. They believed in themselves. They believed they could do it. They were puffed up. They were full of self-confidence. 
And then these false prophets gave false counsel. Verse 17, They keep saying to those who despise Me, The Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come upon you. Now folks, here's the thing. Here's the deception about this. Short term, you might be prosperous. Now here's why you think that. Because you're looking at things outwardly. But the judgment begins internally. There's a darkening that goes on. You're not aware of that. Because you're getting what you want. But ultimately, that leanness that decay of spirit ends up being seen outwardly. Sometimes it's years. And you remember, folks, we just saw this in John 9. Jesus came to render a legal judgment. You're either being blinded or you're being enlightened. There's no middle ground. And I want to be enlightened, don't you? I want to walk in the light as He is in the light. People say it's okay to commit adultery. Nothing's going to happen to you. Look at all these people who have done that and look how prosperous their marriages have turned out. Well, perhaps, and if their marriages have turned out right, who would, would, who would want to wish ill on that? That's the mercies of God. That's not saying it's okay. And the sad thing about it is, verse 21, the Lord is very plain about this. He says, I did not send these prophets but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. Brethren, ministry is not a profession. It's not something that you sit there and say, you know what, I think I kind of like to do this. I kind of feel like I want to do it. I kind of want to be a help to people. I'm a pretty compassionate person, so that sounds like a pastor, so I'll do that. There is desire, but there's qualifications. And the Word has to come and persuade you to this. Every person in the Bible was reluctant to enter into the ministry. 
And Isaiah, of course, saw the Lord high and lifted up. Here am I, send me. And then God told him what was going to happen. And he said, Halibog. There's a, there's a reluctance there. God had not sent these prophets. And of course today, as we some of us saw in the video we looked at last week, there's a proliferation of women pastors in our nation. Sincere? Maybe. Wrong? Definitely. And folks, a true shepherd abides in the Word of God. If you look down, he says in verse 21, I did not send them, I did not speak to them. Verse 22, But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people. And the result would have been they would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. A true shepherd abides in the words of the Lord. He causes God's people to hear it so that there's the possibility of their repentance. Folks, preachers turn people. It gives them the opportunity to make choices. Choose you this day who you will serve. But instead, they spoke words out of their own heart. They preached deceit, they preached dreams. Imaginations. I was telling my wife this morning the dream I had last night. My wife, tongue-in-cheek, looked at me and said, well, I wouldn't put too much stock in it. Well, I wouldn't either if I told you the dream. And what these thieves and robbers did is they stole the Word of God from the people of God. Verse 30. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them, and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting, yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Did you notice in verse 30, 31, and verse 32, he says, I'm against. I'm against. I am against this. But folks, they're all doing this in the name of Jehovah. They're all doing it under the guise of biblical Christianity. And you're never going to purge all this out 
But folks, it does seem like the weeds are overtaking the grain. And God gives His judgment about this. In Jeremiah 23, verse 39, Therefore, behold, I will surely forget you and cast you away from my presence along with the city which I gave you and your fathers. And I will put an everlasting reproach on you and an everlasting humiliation which will not be forgotten. He who does not enter in by the door into the fold of the sheep but comes up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. What is he stealing from you? Life. That's what he's stealing from you. He's stealing from us the words of God. He's robbing your treasury. He is a thief. And folks, you know what our Lord said about these hard hands. He said, these hard hands are not the shepherd. They're not the owner of the sheep. So when the wolf comes, he leaves the sheep. Why does he leave the sheep? When the wolf comes, why does the hireling leave the sheep? Because they are only concerned about themselves. The wolf can have the sheep... As long as what? As long as I'm okay. Our Lord was not that way. Did the wolf come? Did Judas betray him? Did the Pharisees finally get their man? And he didn't flee from the will of God. He laid down His life so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That's not talking about a pay raise. That's talking about the inner life of God. The life of God in the soul of people. The greatest treasure that could ever be had. Greatest treasure that could ever be nurtured. Wealth beyond all wealth. Jeremiah promised that the great shepherd would go into every tribe and tongue and nation and rescue his sheep. And He promised that He would set shepherds over them which would feed them. 
Folks, if I was going to summarize an under-shepherd, he must be regenerate. He must be born from above. He must know the life of God. But he doesn't speak from his own heart. He meditates. He renews his mind. He wants those words to live inside of him, to guide his steps, to frame his walk. And there's different maturities and measures of that, but there's that heartbeat. A heartbeat put there by God. He seeks to speak in God's stead. He seeks to possess a life of purity, single focus. He doesn't want pollution to come from the pulpit. A true shepherd weakens evildoers and strengthens the righteous. You know, sometimes we as God's people, we feel so alone and so out of it. Then Christ comes and strengthens us. Says, it is good. Walk with me. The true shepherd humbles man, exalts God. Man's put in his place under true preaching. The true shepherd doesn't lie to the wicked and say that they're going to have peace and security. A true shepherd is sent by God. He's commissioned. He's illumined by the Holy Spirit from the Lord. And the whole purpose is to feed the flock of God. To grow us up in all things. And folks, Ephesians 4, you know this, says that the great shepherd of the sheep rose from the dead and he gave gifts to the church. Evangelist missionary, pastor teacher, for the perfecting, the maturing of the saints. For the work of the ministry one to another so that God the Father would be glorified in all things by His Son in the church forever and ever. Are there thieves and robbers? I want to exhort you, brethren, don't allow them to steal what you have. Because ultimately, they want your life. He that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Let's pray.